Well, I asked, where's the beef? Let's call this for what this is. Oh my God. <laughs> they are so hopelessly woke. How dare you? <laughs> that is the intellectual capital of the left today. Give me a break. You are now watching the Daily Roundup. Oh, hi, everybody. Ezra Levant here in our world headquarters. What a pleasure to be back in the seat. Most of the time, it's my friend David Menzies and Sheila Van Reed co-hosting the live stream. But every once in a while, I like to do it. Um, I am a little bit ahead of my work, so it's a pleasure to be here. I should tell you that tonight on the Ezra Levant Show, which is my evening uh, show behind our paywall, we will be having a feature interview with Brian Peckford the former premier of Newfoundland. And what's interesting about him, he's a very interesting guy. He's got a lot to say about a lot of things. But from a historical point of view, he is the last living premier to have negotiated and signed the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, you, you know, he's tantamount to a father of confederation. Obviously, there was a group of people who built Canada and 1867, but I'm talking about the people who 40 odd years ago enshrined our civil liberties in our supreme law, our constitution. And so I find it very interesting to talk to him because, of course, over the years and the decades and the centuries, is the law being applied in the manner intended by the signers, the framers, the founders? And when we talk to Brian Peckford, we can see. He's not even passed away yet, thank God. May he live to be 120. But they're already moving away from the purpose and the intention of the framers of the charter. I won't go on any more about it. I invite you to tune in at 8 p.m. If you don't know how to watch Rebel News Plus, my, my show is on Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. And um, we do this show every weeknight, and I, I try and be here all the time. Once in a while, I do have to travel, so we have guest hosts, but we never miss a show. So anyways, um, I'm looking forward to that tonight. Brian Peckford, 8 p.m. Eastern time. One of the things I see out of the corner of my eye are videos from the PSAC protest. PSAC is the Public Service Alliance of Canada, I think. It's, the, it's a big government union. And they're on strike. And did we show that that video the other day, the one that felt like, you know, I don't know if you remember, there were all these videos before Elon Musk bought Twitter of a day in the life of an HR worker at Twitter, a day in the life of a censor at Twitter. Like, I think the majority of staff at Twitter were in these bizarre soft jobs with no real deliverables and certainly nothing to do with the engineering of the product or the user experience. They were just sort of like barnacles on a ship. And when Twitter was young and it was like a canoe, there weren't many barnacles, but uh, later as it became as large as an aircraft carrier, there were a gazillion barnacles on the ship. And there were, and, and I, I know that Elon Musk saw some of these. I mean, they were, it was just incredible what it was like at Twitter according to these videos. You know, all free breakfast, free lunch, free supper, gyms, yoga, uh, you know, nap rooms, games rooms. I, I don't know if they actually did any work. And I, I think the answer to that is I, I don't think they were doing work even when they weren't getting those free drinks. They were, you know, um, they were just living off the avails of the platform. And when Elon Musk sacked thousands of them, they squawked and squawked, but speaking as a Twitter user, I, I really don't see any difference in, in the user experience. I think you've got it on the screen there. Yeah, I just want to, and, and I want to compare that to, uh, to some of these PSAC videos. I've seen. Yeah, but the one you've got the screen, that, that looks like the kind of thing, day in the life of a Twitter uh, worker. Yeah, let, let's show this just to give people what I'm talking about. So this past week, went to SF for the first time at a Twitter office, badged in. Honestly, took a moment to just soak everything in. What a blessing. Also, started my morning off with an iced matcha from the perch. Then I had a meeting, so quickly scheduled one of these little pod 
rooms, which were so cool. They're literally noise canceling. Took my meeting, got ready for lunch. Look how delicious this food looks. Oh my goodness, I was so overwhelmed. Then made my way down to this log cabin area. I don't know what this is, but it was really cool. Played some foosball with my friends to kind of unwind a bit. Um, also found this really cool meditation room that I thought was super neat. Um, I didn't do any yoga, but they have this yoga room if you are a yogi. So also thought that was really cool. Um, had a couple more meetings in the afternoon, had a ton of projects that we needed to knock out. Say hi to my teammates. Um, went to the, went to the library to kind of get some more work done. Obviously had to have our afternoon coffee. So made some espresso. And then before leaving for the day, had some red wine. Um, that's on tap went up to the rooftop and just honestly enjoyed the beautiful weather so awesome trip uh, my favorite absolute favorite part of that was when she said i need to unwind a bit because she had such a such a busy day <laughs> you've got to unwind after that wine on tap i mean you know we, we've got snacks here we used to have a ton of snacks but the idea of wine on on tap. And she said, and then it was nice nighttime. So I headed uh, to the rooftop. Uh, and she went there and it, it did not look like nighttime to me. <laughs> it looked like it was still uh, in the middle of the business day. But um, yeah, absolutely. Now, did you find that tweet I did from that one gal who I think it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. That's the one there. Tell me if this isn't the exact same vibe as those lazy, do-nothing, overpaid, overpampered, overprivileged Twitter workers. Now, there were only, I think, 8,000 of them at, at Twitter. There's 155,000 of them in the federal government. Listen, and I think it's also that up-talking tone of voice. Take a listen. But today is day two of our strike as a federal employee girly. There was a really big turnout at Parliament Hill today. Uh, we started off by signing in and we grabbed a little coffee. Okay, if you're from Ottawa, please don't judge me, but I've actually never been to Little Victories. It was my first time, but it had the cutest vibe and really, really good coffee. So we picked up some coffee and hit the road again. My friend Which started explaining okay. how like, to install a okay. and, and honestly, I think after this explanation, I'm a fan and I'm, I'm gonna probably try it. Let me know what your thoughts are on the Diva Cup because everyone I talk to loves it. We finished the day off at Parliament and it was really nice and sunny, but honestly, I was just happy to leave and get food. But today is day two of our- Yeah, uh, I mean, like I totally went to this amazing coffee place and had a great vibe. And, um, you know, I, I want to let you know something because the federal uh, bureaucrat payment system, which is called the Phoenix or something, doesn't work because it doesn't work and it hasn't worked for years and they spent billions of dollars on it. Um, these strikers are still getting paid. I want to let you know that there's a global mail story to that effect. I think yesterday, these strikers are actually still getting paid, but I put it to you. They are doing no less work now than they did last week. How do you know they're on strike? Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Uh, I mean, last year I tried to get my passport renewed. It took, what, six months when they were not on strike. Uh, is it any different now? Um, I don't really know. I bet it's quicker. I bet it's quicker now. How about the airport man? Yeah, look at that. PSAC workers strike. Federal public servants will continue getting regular salaries until at least May 10th. That's just so amazing. <laughs> I, and again, who's even tracking it? Who even cares? It's just government money. And on the one hand, you've got the government negotiating with the government union, and they're using play money. They're using other people's dough. It's other people's money. And um, what do they care? Justin Trudeau had a statement about it today. I haven't seen this yet. Let's watch it together. Justin Trudeau talking about the strike. Does he even notice? I don't know. Let's take a listen. Government just got a handle on things like the passport backlog and trying to make headway on immigration backlog, and now there's the risk that it starts all over again. What is your response to that? Is it frustrating for you that you're back to ground zero here? Well, I think, first of all, 
understanding the importance of defending uh, the rights to collective bargaining, the rights people have to, to a job action. This is something that's really important for our government. So yes, it's frustrating to know that uh, Canadians may, as the days come, uh, have more difficulty accessing services, uh, but that's a motivator for everyone to try and resolve this. The, the union is certainly very aware of Canadians' uh, impatience, and they have to calibrate that carefully. Uh, as a government, we are there to respect uh, collective bargaining. We're there to make progress at the table. And right now, progress is being made. There's an ebb and flow in these negotiations always, but uh, we're going to continue to stay positive. And First of all, what does that mean? It's a motivator for everyone to settle. What, why would PSAC be motivated? What do they care? Like literally, what do they care? They're, they're negotiating against perhaps the worst negotiator in the world right now, Justin Trudeau negotiated a payment to Volkswagen, one of the largest companies in the world, a $13 billion payment to have them build a $7 billion factory in Ontario. He is literally the world's worst negotiator. And uh, the only thing worse than his answer was the stupidity of the question. Is it frustrating for you? Hey, Justin Trudeau, you're not the decider here. You're not the prime minister. You're not the, the decision maker. You're not the, the one who has any respons responsibility here. So I'm not going to ask you, why did you let this happen? Or how much money are you going to blow making this go away? I'm going to ask you a feelings question that implies you're the victim. Is it frustrating for you? In fact, the preamble was, it, it, implying that he that he had fixed things. He had fixed the passport mess. He had fixed the immigration backlog. He had fixed the... Are you... Is it frustrating for you, Prime Minister? You fixed everything. You did, personally. And these people are being so frustrating. Aren't you frustrated? That's your... I wonder who the reporter was, but really... Doesn't matter. They're all non-player characters. They're all clones. They're all, you know, they're all on the same team. There is no difference between a global news reporter and a CBC reporter and Toronto Star reporter and Global Mail reporter on one or two issues. Uh, you know, on the China issue, I think Global and Global Mail have stepped up first time in eight years. But um, yeah, Prime Minister, you've done such a great job. Aren't you frustrated with these strikers? Yeah. Um, I sent you a few more vids in the in the Slack channel there. I just saw a few vids, and I just I want to show you um, who these strikers are, and these just made me chuckle. Do you want to play some of those vids I sent you? We will like just you. like just. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that is. And listen, my dancing's not much better. That reminds me a little bit of Elaine Bennis for those who are over 40. And you know the dancing moves she had that were sort of epileptic. Um, a little bit cringe. They reminded me of those dance videos that the bored nurses did. Yeah, here's another one. What's the sound on this one? Okay. Uh, what's the next one? I think I sent over three or four. I don't even remember what they were. I just sort of clipped them. Let's take a look at this next one. You know, it reminds me of uh, the demographics of the public sector union, which is overwhelmingly middle-aged women. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's some jobs that are overwhelmingly male, construction working, deep sea fishing, uh, military, prison guards. These are overwhelmingly male jobs. And being a government sector bureaucrat is overwhelmingly a middle-aged woman's job, which may also explain why Trudeau is so sympathetic to them. Because if you look at demographics, every single poll 
uh, Trudeau has a very strong wage gap. Men simply do not vote for Justin Trudeau and young men. The last poll I saw that broke it down by demographics, young men, I'm talking about men between 18 and 29 who vote liberal, who say they will vote liberal, it's less than 20%. And in the prairies, to try and find a man under 30 who votes liberal, it's, it's getting down there close to 10%. And that's the funny thing about a, way, a, a gender gap like that is let's say the liberals are at, I don't know, I'm just going to pick a number, 30% in the polls. And they have a gender gap, so I'm just going to make up a number. So that implies that they're at 20% with men and 40% with women, right? If it's averaging out at 30. And I'm just making up numbers here, although they are around 30. So there's two ways you can express that. You could say, oh my God, the conservatives have a gender problem with women. Or you could say, oh my God, the liberals have a problem with men. No men support Justin Trudeau. How, how has it been phrased these last eight years? Because a disproportionate number of men vote conservative. That's not a positive thing, though. It's positive that Justin Trudeau has a disproportionate number of women. I expect he will give these middle-aged liberal voting bureaucrat women an enormous payout because they're on his team. They're his base. Um, there's not a lot of anger in those protests. There's not a lot of conviction at all because they're not really striking over anything. They're, they haven't been hard done by. They've been getting, you know, the government is spending more now on the public sector than they literally ever have in history. There's nothing to be complained about. It's just an opportunistic cash grab. Uh, I presume there'll be an election perhaps later this year, so they just want to get the money now, thinking that they can put pressure on Trudeau so he doesn't have a strike before the election. Um, now, it's, it's interesting because the last time I was at a, public protest in Ottawa was just over a year ago, a year and a couple months ago, I guess, when I went to Ottawa for what I knew would be special. I didn't realize how you know, history-making it would be. I'm talking about the trucker protest, a peaceful protest um, that did two things wrong uh, from a legal point of view. There were people who parked where they shouldn't have parked, for longer than they parked, so they, it was a parking ticket, and they honked their horns uh, at night. And I would I would agree with the characterization that they caused a disturbance. Um, I think that's that was their point. And when local residents went to a judge and said, "Can you make them stop honking their horns, please?" the judge issued an order to that effect, and the trucker stopped. So there was no violence. There were no threats. The government was so desperate to trump up that narrative that there was violence, that they ascribed violence to the convoy that was not the convoy. So they claimed some arson was the convoy's fault. Obviously, that's laughable. But the media and the liberals, but I repeat myself, were so horny for that story, they ran it. But let me contrast that with these Peace Act workers. Let me start with a modest thing. Um, there was some therapist clinic for disabled kids and the shouting and the swearing and the banging of the peace act workers outside was terrifying the special needs kids. Uh, and they, they put out a little message to this effect. Here, take a look at this little video. Although we respect your right to strike, we are asking strikers to find another public space since the constant honking and yelling are scaring our special needs children who come to therapy at our clinic. Very peaceful, very respectful, very pleasant letter. Um, how is that different from the truckers? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's not it. See, that's just being noisy. And by the way, I think you have the right to be noisy. And listen, you don't want to upset kids. Uh, we have ver worked very hard to create welcoming. Anyhow, listen, so so they're, they're worried about the noise for these special needs kids. And I'm not going to be too dainty about it. You know, peaceful protests, you're allowed to make a little bit of noise. Even if you don't really know why you're striking, 
uh, and you just want extra money because you're a liberal and you think you deserve it, that's fine. But I saw a video, Efron, do you know the one where they, they kicked a car and attacked a car and threatened and there was some violence? Yeah, let's take a look at this one. This is City News, striking federal workers escalate. Take a look. And now on day six, with no deal in sight, things are ramping up. Our cameras captured a clash between striking workers and a driver leaving the service center this morning. We are asking people to sort of stand with us in solidarity for a moment, for 10 minutes. Uh, previously, we were holding people for five minutes, um, but now we're doing 10 minutes. Uh, people have been pretty receptive, actually. Um, so that's great. Uh, we haven't had too many issues. Another tactic now coming into play, disrupt the economy. A media rep for the Public Service Alliance of Canada tells me as of today, striking workers are hampering access to some Canadian ports, including the Port of Montreal. And now on day... Oh, just that, eh? Well, funny, because um, when the truckers briefly blocked the Ambassador Bridge between Windsor, Ontario and Detroit, Michigan... The police moved in pretty heavy, and that was one of the last straws before Trudeau said, this is an economic crisis. We must deploy the military or, or uh, riot police. Um, so you've got blocking cars. I think they were kicking the car also. They're saying, we are detaining people for five or ten minutes. Oh, is, can you do that? Can I do that to you? Can I hold you prisoner? Can I falsely imprison you for five or 10 minutes and brag about it to the media and have silence from the police and from the government? The truckers honked their horns and had a little hot tub party and they did some dancing too. Wasn't quite as cringe as the dancing I've shown you the last 20 minutes. And, and they had their bank accounts seized and um, they were stomped on by ride horses and our own reporter... Alexa Lavoie was shot by an RCMP officer, the only person in the entire trucker convoy time period. January and February, there was many days, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. The only person who was shot just happened by coincidence to be a Rebel News reporter. Do you think that was coincidence? Do you really think it was coincidence? I should tell you we're suing the RCMP, we've uh, found the name of the disgraceful thug who shot her. The RCMP has disclosed the name and nature of the weapon and, in fact, has provided us with the training manual to look at the weapon, to learn about it. And I can tell you right now that the weapon was improperly used and it was used contrary to its purpose. You don't take a riot gun like that and shoot it at someone like that. That is an insane thing to do, especially when it's not a protester, when it is a journalist simply holding her phone like that. That is explicitly against the training manual. And this thug just did it. I should tell you the RCMP uh, in investigation, they're investigating their own cop. Uh, it's clearly a whitewash. I can tell you right now they're going to whitewash it. They waited more than a year before even interviewing the, the cop involved. You don't do that if you if you care about uh, fixing a problem. It's a disgrace. Brenda Lucky, what she has done to the RCMP is an absolute disgrace. But my point today is here you have PSAC deliberately and threatening to shut down a port, attacking a vehicle, holding people falsely imprisoned for five or ten minutes, and not even a word, let alone a cop. Uh, the whole point about the legal system is everyone has to know that the rules apply the same to everyone. And the reason for that is so you believe in the system even when it deals you a hand you don't like. We have to all believe it's fair enough so that when we lose, we still respect the rules of the game. But if the rules are only applied against one team and not the other, then the administration of justice is brought into disrepute, and I'm afraid that is happening here, at least from what I'm seeing. Um, I want to take a break since we're on the subject of the trucker convoy. Did you know the Rebel News has proudly published Tamara Leach's book? The book is called Hold the Line. You can get it at the website, The Convoy Book. 
I have bought my copy. It arrived two days ago. It is great. It's a hardcover. We, it's our first hardcover book we've published. Normally we publish paperbacks. Here, we got a little ad. Take a look at this little video by Tamara herself. The Tamara Leach has been released from jail. Western separatist Tamara Leach. Leach will remain in custody. We have breaking news out of Ottawa to tell you about. A judge has made a decision on whether to grant bail for Tamara Leach, one of the leaders of that recent demonstration in Ottawa. You may have seen me on the news, but there's more to my story. In my new book, Hold the Line, I share the story of the Freedom Convoy from the heart of the Freedom Convoy. It's a story of hope, courage, and coming together as a community in the Canadian way. You can buy my new book at theconvoybook.com, and in that book, you're going to hear stories from the heart of the convoy, as well as my arrest and my time in jail, like you've never heard them before. Until very recently, I've been quite silent because of my bail conditions, but now I'm ready to tell my story, my side of the story. I know the mainstream media isn't going to be fair to me, as they've already called me and my friends from the convoy terrorists. There is increasing concern about violent online rhetoric supporting the convoy and that those with extreme views are planning on attending. The mayor, who uh, made, in my estimation, just a horrendous decision to negotiate with terrorists. So I'm launching a book tour across Canada. We'll be doing interviews, signing books, and saying thank you to all Canadians for your support. I've partnered with Rebel News to crowdfund for the cost of my book, as well as our advertising campaign. With your help, we'll be purchasing ads and billboards to spread the word about my book. We'll also be upgrading my home studio, which will enable me to do interviews all around the world. If you're a shop owner or a business owner and you'd like to have a book signing, please fill out the form on our website, which you can find here. And if you'd like to make a donation for the tour, we'll greatly appreciate it. The first 500 people to send in a donation of $200 or more will receive a free signed copy of my book, Hold the Line, My Story from the Heart of the Freedom Convoy. The last time I drove across Canada, something very special happened. Let's make that happen again. Go to theconvoybook.com. Thank you. You know, I'm very excited about that. While we were showing you that little commercial, I went to amazon.ca. Can you please do that, Olivia? And I just typed in uh, Tamara Leach. That's just all I typed in. Yeah, and put it on the screen, show people as you do it. And then click on the book. And you see it, you see right under those five stars there, it's got a 4.9 star review out of five 180 ratings. You see, yeah, you see it says Amazon charts in blue, that little blue tag there, and it says number one this week. Yeah, click on that. Click on that. So this is the big chart. This isn't the moment-by-moment moment rankings. This is the big deal, end of the week, what's cooking? Would you look at that? Hold the Line by Tamara Leach is the number one best-selling book for the entire week. For the entire week. Isn't that exciting? And scroll down a bit because I want to show you that th there's very wide competition. Like her book, obviously, is a history book. It's a political book. You've got a weight loss book. You've got a self-help book by a doctor. Scroll down a little bit. Okay, Atomic Habits, that's sort of like a pop advice book. It's a good book, I'm sure. Um, Matthew McConaughey's. So this isn't just Canadian. This is all books of all genres. There's that odious prince, uh, what's his name, uh, on the World Privacy Tour. Did you see that South Park episode oh my god the world private you know down with the monarchy we want our privacy i can never think of megan and harry now without thinking down with the monarchy we deserve our privacy it's the world privacy tour oh my gosh i i think that left a mark i mean i don't know if south park is popular in uh in the uk but boy did it do a number of yeah, just play a little bit of it. Just just give people a taste because they're probably saying, what are you talking about, Ezra? But uh, yeah, I think it. I think uh, the one you had right there, yeah, the one with the, the prince there, yeah, right there. Yeah, just give it a click. 
What the hell? What'd he just say? He victimized me! It's because I'm an ethnic woman! He can't do that! I'll see- Wait, you're ethnic? This is an outrage! We'll just see how he deals with my blue penis! That blue penis thing really is from his autobiography. He talks about his blue penis. Because don't you want to know? Hey! Hey! Have some respect for people's privacy! Hey! <laughs> okay. You know what? That was a great little sample. It goes on for quite a bit. And it's just, they call it the World Privacy Tour. Anyhow, sorry, you know me, I love going down the tangents on the live streams. Will you forgive me for that? But I'm very, aren't you glad that Tamara Leach's book has massively outsold Prince Harry's book? Yeah, yeah, so that, is that, is that it there? Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. Play a little bit of that. Just give people another minute. It's too funny. You got to see this. I'm talking serious stuff with Tamara Leach's book, but if you haven't seen this, you, you, let me steal two minutes of your time. You got to see this World Privacy Tour business. Take a look. Toronto. It's good morning, Canada. It has been several months now since our beloved queen has died. Our Canadians are finding it hard to go on. All Canadians, that is, except for our first guest, the prince and his wife. We, we want, want privacy. We, we want privacy. Hey, thanks for having us on the show. It's so awesome to be here. It's great. So let me start with you, Sam. You've lived a life with the royal family. You've had everything handed to you, but you say your life has been hard, and now you've written all about it in your new book, Wee. <laughs> yes, that's right, friend. You see, my wife and I are totally like you should write a book because your family's like stupid and then so are like journalists. So you hate journalists. That's right. And now you wrote a book that reports on the lives of the royal family. Right. So you're a journalist. We just want to be normal people. All this attention is so hard. Isn't it true, sir, that your questionable wife has her own TV show and hangs out with celebrities and does fashion magazines? What are you suggesting? Well, I just think some people might say that your Instagram-loving bitch wife actually doesn't want her privacy. How dare you, sir! My Instagram-loving bitch wife has always wanted her privacy! And you know what else? To hell with Canada! We are leaving! We'll go find some quiet place where we can be normal people! Come on, wife! We want privacy! We, we want privacy! <laughs> we want privacy! The World Privacy Tour. It, you know what? It goes on in that vein, and it's it's too good. It is too good, and I really think uh, I really think they did a number on them. I don't know if any Brits watch that show, but uh, yeah, they nailed it. <laughs> My book called What? <laughs> I have to admit, the title "Spare" is a great title. For, for Prince Harry, it's self-deprecating. Um, I think he is actually a little bit self-deprecating, which is perfect because uh, his wife is um, sadistic and he's masochistic. And so it's just a perfect fit. Um, yeah, so I go back to that Tamara Leach uh, Amazon page again. I'm just so proud of that. You know, we, we publish a, a fair number of books here at Rebel News. I don't know, maybe we're up to 10 now. And I think this has been or will be our most successful uh, book because it's our most interesting author with the most compelling story. And she has been limited. Like, I like I just find that, scroll a little bit. So I, the reason I'm showing you this, normally bestseller lists, I don't know if you know this, normally bestseller lists are categorized, right? It makes sense. You've got fiction versus nonfiction, and that makes sense. You're never going to have um, a political story or a history book compete with, you know, Harry Potter, right? And a self-help book or a cookbook, does it really make sense to compare a cookbook with a history book? So what's interesting about this list is it's the everything list. You know, um, I will teach you to be rich, obviously, a self-help. 12 Rules for Life. There's our friend Jordan Peterson. Still in the top 15, which is just incredible, the number of weeks that's been. How many weeks does it say that's been on the on the list? I can't quite make that out. 224 weeks on the on the list. Just amazing. Perhaps the most successful Canadian book in a decade. In fact, I can't even think of one. Um, so the reason, thank you for scrolling through these. The reason I, I'm, I'm showing you that is that there's American books, there's British books, there's uh, fiction, there's nonfiction, there's self-help. 
And to be the top of all of those is quite something. Uh, if you go to the very top, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, but there's sometimes links to like the Globe and Mail bestseller list. Is that up there? Um, don't worry if it's not. But if you, if uh, you'll see, for example, um, Amazon Charge, category, yeah, category bestsellers. Yeah, scroll down a little bit more. Okay, it's not right there and I won't waste your time on it. But for example, the Globe and Mail will have Canadian fiction, Canadian nonfiction, uh, foreign fiction, foreign nonfiction. So they typically have at least four categories because they all be candid because they want to give the Canadian stuff a chance. Like how many Canadian books are going to beat a biography by, uh, you know, Michelle Obama or going to beat a Harry Potter book or, or there's Wild There when all those vampire books were the hottest thing. So thank you for letting me show you that. But I tell you, if you want your book, you can go to theconvoybook.com. And as you heard in Tamara's video, she is going to promote that book, uh, not just in a media tour, but in a physical tour. I'm very excited about that. Um, all right. So we talked about the strike, and I think we did some good coverage there. You know what? We've got a couple of super chats, and let me read them now. The first is from our friend Fraser McBurney, who says, Today I unsubscribed from Fox News. I suggest you do the same. Obviously a reference to the departure, the sudden and I would say shocking departure of Tucker Carlson. Um, and there's a bit of a personal uh, connection there too. I, I think you may know, or maybe you don't, that um, about a month ago, Myself, David Menzies, Alexa Lavoie, and maybe others of our team, I can't remember offhand, did extended interviews with Tucker's team, and he was going to release a documentary about Canada featuring a number of our people, and that was going to come out next week. I think May 1st, I think it was going to come out, and I feel so bad that it will likely never see the light of day. In fact, in his little um, preview tease, you can see Alexa and David. Yeah, can you show? Yeah, and there's our footage. That was our footage of, uh, yeah. There's, I hate that footage, but there's of, of Alexa being attacked, but there's her talking about being attacked by Trudeau's cops. There's David talking about being attacked. This is Maxime Bernier being arrested uh, by his political rival. This is the riot horses stomping on people, just incredible. And um, I have not seen that documentary and I fear that no one will ever see it because I'm guessing the rights were owned by Fox. Um, I think the documentary is probably finished. I mean, it was a week before it was gonna air. It was probably done or at least in its uh, you know, second last version. Um, it would be a shame if we never saw that. I'd, I'd really like to see it, and I wonder if that will ever happen. Uh, we have one more Super Chat from yesterday. Or is it from today? From today, JCMN84. JCMN84 gave 100 smackers. Well, thank you very much for that, by the way. I appreciate that. Unvaxxed healthcare workers remain terminated in BC while staffing shortages put people at risk. Unvaxxed visitors now allowed in hospitals. Such illogical policies. CSSEM.org, freedom to choose.ca. Uh, why don't we click on freedom to choose.ca? I'm wondering what that is about. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, our Sheila Gunn Reed today is live tweeting the. Uh, citizens inquiry into things and i i've seen some of her tweets and i've retweeted some of them it's very heartbreaking what's going on oh it makes no sense the policies i see this morning that china itself is lifting some covid rules for travel there not that i'm looking to travel to china uh but the united states is not in fact i thought they were done Efron, i don't know if you heard this i thought they were done enforcing it on the ground but i saw uh Three days ago, someone made a little video that they were turned back at a land entry for not being vaxxed. I guess it comes down to the 
border agent or who knows if someone made a fuss and got on some watch list or something. Um, I traveled down, I think, you know, I went down about two weeks ago and I had to spend about an hour, uh, haggling with different people about my, about my non-vax status before they let me in. I was very scared they were not going to let me in and I was going to drive to Buffalo. But as I learned, that may not be allowed. Uh, it's 1.40. I want to um, talk a little bit more about Tucker. When he was sacked, I didn't know what it, and I, I don't know if anyone knows what it really was. Did you see Bill O'Reilly's comments on it? Uh, I wonder if you can find those quickly. Bill O'Reilly, who used to be with Fox and was sacked, if I recall, over a Me Too moment, uh, and he was a huge star there, really big. Um, so he's got his own show now and he, or maybe he was talking about, maybe he was on another show. Yeah. Maybe he was here. Let's just watch this. Here's Bill O'Reilly. Uh, and the funny thing is, I think that is, uh, Chris Cuomo, the former CNN host. There's a lot of former hosts, uh, around some of them for me too. reasons. hear what Chris has to say. Joining me now, Bill O'Reilly. The biggest star in the history of Fox News had the number one show there. Carlson uh, was riding that wake until today. What do you make of the announcement, Brother Bill? Well, uh, you didn't refer to me as a dog, did you? Um, with the Hunter Thompson quote. I actually did some uh, reporting today. It was refreshing because usually I'm analyzing, but I had a report, find out what happened to... Uh, tell the news nation audience not to believe 90% of what they're hearing, as you pointed out. So today, um, as every day in the TV news business, the producers of the Tucker Carlson program and all other news shows were having their morning meeting, laying out what was going to be on this evening. All right. In the middle of that meeting, they got word that their host was not coming to work ever again. All right. So all of this BS about, well, the decision was made last week or it was made during the Dominion. That's all not true. The decision was made Sunday evening. OK. And there were two reasons why. But I'll get to that in a moment. So Fox News did not want to remove Tucker Carlson because, as you pointed out, he was the second highest rated program on the network next to the five, and he was the most well-known individual host. So they didn't want to move him out. But there are lawsuits coming on the wake of Dominion. They lost 800 million plus on Dominion. And now you have Smartmatic coming up and you have two individual lawsuits, actually one filed and one that may be filed. And that was the key. So one of uh, Tucker Carlson's producers apparently taped a whole bunch of stuff. Her lawyer went into the Fox attorneys and said, unless you pay so-and-so some money, um, we're going to sue you. And Fox said, we're not paying. So they filed suit in New York City and they had the tapes and those tapes may be released to the public. All right. And they're not good tapes for the Carlson program. The second thing was last night on 60 Minutes, Ray Epps, you may remember that name, said to the audience, Tucker Carlson ruined my life and my family's life by accusing me of having some kind of provocative role in the January 6th riots at the Capitol. That was setting Epps up for a massive lawsuit against Fox News and uh, Tucker Carlson. So that's three lawsuits we know about, and there'll be more by shareholders who are angry about the $800 million settlement, and they're going to go after the Murdochs and the board of directors. Faced with that, the board of directors said, we got to start cleaning this up. So Dan Bongino was the first domino to fall, even though he wasn't involved with the Dominion thing. They couldn't get to a contract settlement with him. He's gone. And then Carlson, because of the impending litigation, was 
harpooned this morning. Carson didn't know. I mean, it wasn't like it was a discussion. Same thing with Lemon at CNN. He didn't know. It just happened. And that's uh, the nature of television news, the most wicked industry in the United States of America. Uh, I, I don't believe, believe it. That the I don't believe it. Of- Thanks for showing that. And listen, Bill O'Reilly obviously has connections and sources at Fox, but I don't believe uh, those explanations. For one thing, uh, that Ray Epps obviously was a provocateur. He's on tape saying, we storm, we go in. That he completely was. The, the question is, is he or is he not an FBI agent? The FBI won't really answer. They're very mystical about the whole thing. They won't explain why they didn't arrest him. I think that everything Fox and every other commenter said was fair comment and probably true. And um, the point about other looming lawsuits, first of all, I don't think Tucker was the main promoter of some of these theories about Dominion voting. But even if he was, firing someone today isn't going to get the company off the hook for a legal problem that happened two years ago. In fact, if anything, it'll make it harder to defend because is Tucker going to be as cooperative with Fox News as he would have been if he were still there? I don't buy the explanation by Bill O'Reilly. I mean, if someone does something wrong legally, and I I don't think Tucker has, I don't know about this recording, this tape that they're referring to, um, that doesn't stop being a problem if you fire someone. Uh, what they did is what they did. I mean, how you, uh, I don't know. I just, I just, I don't believe it. I think that's an attempt to make it look like Tucker was screwing up. I think that's someone leaking rumors against Tucker, leaking it to Bill O'Reilly. I mean, I don't know if Bill O'Reilly and Tucker were friends. They were certainly competitors. So I I do not believe that. Now, the Van- Vanity Fair has a story today saying it was a Christian commentary that Tucker Carlson gave at a prayer talk. Let me read a little bit of it. Tucker Carlson's prayer talk may have led to Fox News ouster. That stuff freaks Rupert out, Rupert Murdoch. Fox Corp chair Rupert Murdoch is said to have balked at Carlson's remarks in a Friday night speech, driving another theory about the primetime star's abrupt exit. He doesn't like all the spiritual talk, said a source. Now, does Vanity Fair have a good source in Fox News? I don't know. Could be. Um, They say that the Murdoch family was the template for the dysfunctional billionaire media family in the um, HBO show called Succession. Uh, Olivia Efron, do you guys watch Succession at all? I started watching it and... My reaction to the first episode was every single person in it was awful. The dad was awful. The mom was awful. The brothers were awful. The sister was awful. The other brother, the cousin, they were all the worst people in the world fighting over who gets to inherit the company when dad kicks the bucket. And in this ca- and there he is, dad, in this case, uh, played a Scottish media mogul, Rupert Murdoch, of course, the Australian media mogul, and they they changed a few things, but they didn't change that much. All the different wives that the dad had, all the political scandals, they had, instead of Fox News, they had ATN, and uh, just absolutely atrocious people. And I I mean, normally you watch a show, you like to root for somebody, like, don't you think? Like, you want to see a hero and a villain. I, no, are we not hardwired that way? We want someone to cheer for in a team. You typically don't watch a, a ball game if you hate both teams, right? I mean, I guess you could if you like the sport so much. But um, I've, I've watched the whole uh, uh, series. And um, you just learn to hate them all and you just love to see them wound each other. They're so, and I, I, this is just a credit to the writing like there's some amazing episodes like when the uh, Kendall Roy uh, is alone and hurt and upset, but he's a billionaire. So he throws himself the most over-the-top, spendy birthday party that anyone has ever seen. And it was so self-indulgent and 
so wasteful and it's if you gave a child a hundred million dollars for a birthday, what would that birthday party look like? And I, it was just so incredibly done. Uh, it's, it's a hell of a show if I may say so. And I, it's, it's actually the only show I watch. I, I wait every week for a new edition to come out and they're almost done. New episode to come out. Um, you love to hate them. And I, I think that, well, I, I know it was modeled after the Murdochs and Fox News. Um, let me read a little bit more from this Vanity Fair story. 24 hours after Fox News ousted its highest rated host, the network has yet to explain one of the most shocking de defenestrations in cable news history. I'm not going beyond the release. A Fox News spokeswoman texted yesterday when I asked her for comment. In this information void, multiple theories about why Fox fired Carlson circulated in the media. It was followed from the $787 million Dominion settlement. Punishment for vulgar text messages published in Dominion court filings. Or a consequence of former Fox producer Abby Grossberg's lawsuit, which alleged Carlson oversaw a hostile work environment. Fox News has vowed to vigorously defend the company against Grossberg's unmeritorious legal claims. By the way, I learned yesterday that Abby Grossberg never actually met Tucker Carlson and didn't work in the office. So I'm not quite sure uh, how he fostered that environment, but we'll see in the court. And that comes back to my point. Let's say all those things about Tucker were correct. All the allegations were true. Firing him, I mean, I, I guess it's a way of saying we don't want this problem anymore, but it's not... Uh, a time machine that can undo uh, problems that have already occurred. Anyways, let me say this about Tucker. I was I was talking to a Quebec uh, radio show about it this morning. I learned, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal that published that, uh, you know how much Tucker was making a year, Olivia? I heard it was 20 million, which is a lot of dough. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of money. And I... Um, and he, I understand he was renegotiating and he, it was probably being negotiated up, right? Um, and then there's perks. I mean, he, they would be paying, they would be paying his security. They would be paying other things. 20 million bucks. Do you think that he could get a million subscribers if he set up a channel of his own somewhere, whether it was on Rumble or with Glenn Beck's organization, or with Daily Wire. He would never go on YouTube because YouTube is is beholden to uh, Big Pharma and, and Tucker's at odds with them. But um, do you doubt that Tucker could get one million people to sign up for 10 bucks a month? And if you do the math on that, that's $100 million, $120 million a year. Even if he only got half a million people to sign up. And I think he could. Now, he would need someone who was taking care of the business infrastructure. But there's a lot of people who could do that. Like I say, you could join an existing operation, Daily Wire, Glenn Beck, the two that come to mind. You could go straight to Rumble. They would do a deal for you like Steven Crowder has done uh, with them. I think that Tucker, from a money point of view, could wake, make well more than $20 million. Um, And I think that if he were to join, create his own organization, it would be very large. And he would have complete freedom. The only thing he would lose would be access to the cable subscribers who get Fox. But how many people are watching Fox on their cable TV as opposed to clips on the internet? Remember, Fox was moving towards a subscription service called Fox Nation. That's where the, their Canada documentary was going to run. I think that Tucker's actually going to be bigger than he was. Because I think that Fox is beholden to the cable news model. They were trying to get off it by digital subscription. I think if Tucker went digital only, and really pushed to sell, pushed his customers to subscribe, 
I think, I mean, I don't even, I don't even think he's really motivated by money. I suppose everyone's motivated by money. If you have children, you want to leave them as much money as you can, I suppose. So I'm not saying he's not motivated by money, um, but I don't think that's his primary mission in life. And even if it was, I think he's, he's achieved it. I mean, the guy who's making 20 million bucks a year, that, that adds up pretty quickly. There's only so much you can spend. I, I saw it in the corner of my eye. Uh, the Daily Mail had a video of him just puttering around. I think he lives, I think he's got two homes, one uh, I think in Maine and one in Florida. Uh, someone posted, uh, Tyler Carden, in fact, of, of GB News posted a clip from the Daily Mail. Yeah, why don't you put that up there? Um, I guess that's him on his little golf cart tootling by. In, uh, in Florida. So it looks like he's doing okay, taking some downtime, staying normal and healthy. And why not? Uh, I hear that he's going to have his contract paid out. So, I mean, of course, I mean, you, you, you're not going to fire Tucker Carlson for cause. You're just going to fire him. So he, he can make a move whenever he wants. He's probably waiting, thinking, I see some people saying he should run for president. I don't think that's a good idea. I think that his talents are as a broadcaster, analyst, reporter, commentator. Running for public office is a completely different skill set and temperament and lifestyle. You're on the road every day. Um, you have to, like, it's, it's a very much a grassroots one-on-one -on -one project. I mean, how many hands do you have to shake? How many people do you have to talk to? How many small towns do you have to crisscross? It's a different activity, different lifestyle, different uh, routine. And um, it's not for everyone. I think Tucker is made for TV and he would it would be madness for him to leave. And by the way, you run for president, you're not making 20 million bucks a year, I'll tell you that. It'll be very exciting to see where he ends up next. I think the Daily Wire, which apparently made a $50 million offer to Steven Crowder, it would not surprise me if they made a $150 million offer to Tucker Carlson um, because Tucker Carlson could earn that. Absolutely. And I think Glenn Beck could make a similar offer. And what they could say to him is, look, we already have the infrastructure. We already have the staff. We already have the streaming this and that. We already... You don't have to hire a team. You could bring your core editorial team, but we're going to give you all the other stuff. And you know both both of those companies, Daily Wire and uh, Glenn Beck, you know they believe in free speech. They live it. It'd be very interesting. Um, are there any more super chats? I thought I would check. No. All right. Well, listen. It's almost two o'clock Eastern. 12 noon mountain time. I hope you're following Sheila Gunn Reed on her live tweets today. Let's end. Is that an ad? Is that a Sheila ad? Here, let's just take a look at this uh, preview for one of. Okay, we'll go out on this. I'll say goodbye to you now. Thanks very much for joining today. Thanks for the super chats. I appreciate it. And um, tune in tonight for my interview with uh, Premier Peckford. I think you'll like it. He's such a colorful character, as many Newfoundlanders are. Uh, he's got a gift of the gab and a great sense of humor, and he's smart as a tack. And you know what? You would think he's a lawyer. His command of the law is so sharp. hes I, I don't even think he's a lawyer. I think he's just a layman who loves the law and helped draft it. Until tonight, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, goodbye, and keep fighting for freedom. Now, the Public Order Emergency Commission, however, ultimately found that the government's use of the law was justified. But the more we actually see the evidence, the less that finding seems to be compatible with known reality. Like these text messages I'm about to show you here. Between Tyler Meredith, a policy advisor in the Prime Minister's office, Alex Lawrence, the Director of Communications for the Deputy Prime Minister, Chrystia Freeland, and the Minister of Finance, and Faris Nathu, an issues manager in the Prime Minister's office. It's a panicked text exchange about something bizarre the Prime Minister said. Look at this. Send you an email. We need to counter-propose something quickly because there be a pretty out there comment from the Prime Minister. <laughs> I suppose this could probably be an evergreen text exchange because Trudeau says some pretty out there stuff every single day, doesn't he? 
Let's keep going. Need feedback ASAP to which someone replies, I would cut that first line. We don't know that. As in the first line was completely made up. <laughs> but there's more. This text message exchange involves those first three political staffers, but they brought in someone else, Shannon Zimmerman, the director of operations for the prime minister's office. These four now are busy fact-checking the prime minister on his wild claims that we now know were disinformation. 